the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. And good morning. I'm Gary Randall. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's Monday, September the 7th, 2020, in the year of our Lord. It's Labor Day. Happy Labor Day. Today on September 7, 1940, Nazi Germany began its eight-month blitz of Britain during World War II. First place to attack was London. Today in 1813, the earliest known printed reference to the United States as Uncle Sam occurred in the Troy Post, Troy, New York. Troy was um, a place that produced uh, just tons and tons and tons of beef. They put them in barrels for the War of 1812. So they were very involved in that War of 1812. The people in the city, in the new newspaper there, the Post, referred to, they said it was a story about helping the United States um, in that war effort. And they referred to the United States as Uncle Sam. Today in 1963, the National Professional Football Hall of Fame was dedicated in Canton, Ohio. Today, in 1977, the Panama Canal Treaties were signed. They called for the U.S. to turn over control of the waterway to Panama, which eventually happened. They were signed in Washington by infamous President Jimmy Carter, leftist president Jimmy Carter, who explained what born again meant. I heard him speak at the National Religious Broadcasting Convention one year as president of the United States. It was kind of novel at that time to see the president of the United States talk about being born again, and he did. He was rather direct to his credit to the press that was there. This was back in the 70s, of course, and uh, I was very involved at that time in that organization. And um, he told the press, he said, I've introduced you to the word born again. He said, I'll let all these folks out here, and there were several thousand people there, of course. I'll let them explain what that means. And I thought that was a clever comment. I'm not a big fan of Jimmy Carter because most of his most of his actions, most of his work that he did and does is far left. But he made a case for being born again to the press. I remember that. And he gave away the, <laughs> the Suez Canal, I mean the uh, Panama Canal. Anyway, Today in 1979, the Entertainment and Sports Programming Network, ESPN, they made their cable debut. Today in 2007, Osama bin Laden, he'd been silent for a while. He appeared in a video, first time in three years. He told Americans that if they would convert to Islam, the war in Iraq would end. Today in 2008... Troubled mortgage giants, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, remember that? They were placed in government conservatorship. Five years ago today, reaching out to the unions on Labor Day, President Barack Obama, he denounced Republicans. He said Republicans, he said they constantly attack working Americans. They're never fair with working Americans. 
He told a rally in Boston, he said, I'm going to use my executive power to make it right for the workers. Well, actually, it was a Republican who came to office shortly thereafter and turned the economy around in a way that no one had ever seen until, of course, the virus struck the world and struck America. But there were more people working than ever before, making more money than ever before. The economy was booming just a few short months ago, and then it all screeched to a halt. I want to talk to you a little bit about labor today from a biblical perspective. But I was thinking about what's going on in our culture today, and I you don't want to think about that too much because it can get really depressing. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot wrong in our world today, a lot. There always has been, but I mean, it's pretty amazing what how many things are not working right right now. And it can really get to you, but you don't want to let that happen because you want to think on the things that are of good report and you want to think about the Lord and you want to know that God is working his purposes through all of this malaise of issues that's going on in our culture today. But just for a moment, I just let me share some of my thoughts and then I want to talk to you about labor and what the Bible says about labor and one thing or another. But I was just thinking, 50 to 100 years from now, will historians really be able to piece together how about half of the United States, namely the political left, they fell prey to this kind of a mass insanity. Throughout history, there have been groups or kind of like subgroups within larger populations. They've had delusional behavior. I mean, we read that in portions of the overall history of the human race. For example, one we all remember, I mean, most of us that are spending this moment together on the radio probably weren't here. I wasn't here, but I'm very aware of it. We've all read about it and heard about it. But in the early 1930s, classic example, considerable numbers of Germans had fallen under the sway of Adolf Hitler. He was a prolific speaker, dynamic, charismatic type of personality. He had led those people to believe that they were the Earth's natural leaders, that they were destined, had a mandate from Mother Earth or whatever, to be the world leaders. So they fell in line with this idea that if they could take over Europe, they would eventually take over all the world, and after all, it was their destiny. People are easily misled. I've, ta- I've spoken in some years ago when I was much younger. I spoke to some people who were older, but they had been there in those times during Hitler's influence and leadership. They said they were just, they were just misled. I mean, they were just, it was a delusion. And they couldn't believe they had fallen for it, but they did. I remember some Lutheran nuns I had on my television program several times, Basilea Schlink and a couple of others. They'd written some books, one thing or another. And they talked about it. They said, we've spent the rest of our life, and we are spending the rest of our life asking God to forgive us. Well, I didn't say to them on television, but I thought it. And I remember the thought, God has forgiven you if you've asked him to. Now move on and do something. But, you know, that wasn't my that's not my responsibility. I, I didn't say that, but I thought it. But they felt such a sense of, of, of guilt, really, for being deluded to the point that they were as young women in those days. So it's interesting. But, you know, <laughs> you know, in present-day America, the left is exhibiting delusions of righteousness. 
And the more attention I pay to the news, and I pay a lot of attention because of this program, and I've always had an interest, but it's greatly heightened, and I spend more time looking at more news because of this daily live program that we do, and we're live this morning. That's The more I see, of just regardless of what it's related to, the more I see this whole thing as it's kind of rolling out in front of us, they're dragging people that would be kind of moderate, I, I don't like that word, but kind of centrist in their views, kind of not really strong to the left or to the right, but they kind of go along to get along and don't talk about you know, religion and this kind of thing or politics or whatever. So I, what I see is the left now is, is coming after those people in the middle, yes, politically, but they're doing so so much under the guise of righteousness and spirituality. For example, they're dragging them with using various methods that are really Marxist and Saul Alinsky, but they, they use shaming and shunning and like coercion and canceling and extortion and, and violence now in the streets. But how mad has the left gone? And how, how will history really sort all this out? There's a delusion of righteousness that's being perpetrated on America because we are fundamentally a righteous nation. I don't mean, you know, I understand what's going on in, in our country, believe me, and in our culture. But the basis of American culture is a, at least an understanding of righteousness, biblical righteousness, and they're dragging all these people toward the left that are kind of not informed very much and not deeply committed. And they're dragging them to the left under the guise of righteousness. It's a delusion of righteousness. Even the church is seduced by this delusion of righteousness. Leftists believe that children can choose their gender, and it's appropriate to teach children that more than 50 genders exist. To the left, mathematics, sciences, other core academic curricula, all being redesigned because most teachings and most works of literature reflect the views of white males. And the church is buying into this particularly because they say that the Bible says we have to reach out to the least of these, so therefore they extrapolate from that that we've got to reach out to those who have been plundered by the white, the black, the brown, etc. And that is the mission of the church. That is a part of the belief of the theology of Christianity. But it's not, it's not the point of the spear. But they're being diluted. And energies and work and resources are going to things that they ought not to be going to. In leftist land, late trimester abortion is acceptable after a baby is born. It's the right of the mother and the doctor to choose whether or not the person will continue to live. You know the drill. It goes on and on and on. And yet these same people who just wink at abortion, killing unwanted unborn children, and sometimes after they're born. They say yes, but righteousness, the path of righteousness, is to reimagine America. The path of righteousness 
is to create new rules for spirituality. On this Labor Day, I want to talk to you a little bit about labor. The Bible, the Bible says labor is a virtue. It's a good thing. As long as it's aligned with godly principles. In fact, Scripture teaches that the person who doesn't work shouldn't eat. I don't know about you, but that makes me want to work. And I have a history of working. I grew up on an orchard in central Washington. If you ever think that orchard is easy, it's not. I thought the whole world was an orchard until I was about 16 years old. But anyway, I grew up in an orchard. I know what it's like to thin and prop and prune and pick and haul and load trucks before they had bins and all this kind of stuff. But work is a good thing. We should work and we should celebrate labor as a virtue. But let me share some thoughts with you about labor on this Labor Day. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, chapter 3, verse 10, reminding them, he said, even, even when we were with you, we gave you this rule, if a man will not work, he shall not eat. Then the apostle goes on to say, and I, could, I, I think if he were speaking, he would have lowered his voice a little bit right here, and he would have said, and we hear that some among you are idle. <laughs> my grandmother used to say, my mother's mother, my grandmother, that grandmother, she used to often say, idle hands are the devil's workshop. She'd always look at me when she said that, and I was always doing something. I wasn't a lazy kid. I didn't have a chance. I would have been, but I didn't have that opportunity. But she would always say that. That was kind of one of her big deals. She had several of those little sayings. But idle hands are the devil's workshop. I think that's true to a great degree. But sometimes labor can be misplaced. Reverend Kenneth Bowler, he's the pastor of the Church of St. Francis Xavier in New York City. He's now regularly leading his congregation. They're having like a revival meeting in a Baptist or a Pentecostal or a holiness church of some kind. It's like a revival. They're leading it. It's special. They have special speakers, the whole deal. He's leading his congregation to recite the Pledge for Racial racial Justice. And when did they do it? Right after the sacraments, right after what we Protestants would call communion. An effort that he says will bring about social justice and reconciliation. Well, what I immediately, when I saw this, I thought, well, what is that pledge? Well, I'll tell you what it is. I'll, I'll read it to you because it isn't very long. They've just taken the sacraments. They've just taken communion in this church in New York, beautiful church, gorgeous building. And then they do this pledge. And here's the pledge. Do you support justice, equity, and compassion in human relations? Do you affirm that white privilege is unfair and harmful to those who have it and to those who do not? Do you affirm that white privilege and the culture of white supremacy must be dismantled wherever it is present? Do you support racial equity, justice, and liberation for every person? Do you affirm the inherent worth and dignity of every person? Therefore, and they are to, supposed to say yes, and therefore, from this day forward, sound like a, a wedding ceremony, from this day forward, Will you strive to understand more deeply the injustice and suffering white privilege and white supremacy causes? Will you commit to help transform our church culture to one that is actively engaged in seeking racial, racial justice and equity for everyone? 
Will you make a greater effort to treat all people with the same respect you expect to receive? Will you commit to developing the courage to live your beliefs and values of racial justice and equality? Will you strive daily to eliminate racial prejudice from your thoughts and actions so that you can better promote the racial justice efforts of our church? Will you renew and honor the pledge daily, knowing that our church, our community, our nation, and our world will be better places because of your efforts or your work? The church council of this church says many churches are using this pledge. I was not aware of that till I read this story. I looked into it, and he's right. They're right. The council's right. A lot of churches are using this pledge now. The church council says this pledge is a part of our self-examination as we seek to, quote, better understand white privilege and how it operates to reinforce racial injustice. It's uncomfortable, the council says, and I'm quoting them, and often distressing for white people to recognize that simply being white confers a presumptive superiority at the expense of people of color. And the council explains that white people often respond when confronted. (laughs) I suppose they're hearing that from some of their parishioners. I don't know. Having been a pastor, I would assume somebody in the church doesn't agree with them. But I've never seen a church united on any issue except the person of Jesus Christ. But anyway, it's uncomfortable, the council says. And uh, they say often when they present this to people, this council says, The people respond, slavery ended in 1865. My family never benefited from black or brown labor. I've worked hard for everything I have. But they said white people try to sidestep personal complicity in perpetuating the systems and institutions that support racial inequality. The church's weekly class, and everyone is urged strongly to attend, is taught by an ACLU activist. There's a kind of labor that's uninformed. And while the Bible, throughout the Bible, talks about work and worthy of our, a worker is worthy of his hire and so on. I mean, there's a lot said about work and about labor. But in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 20, Jesus is commending Peter for coming to the correct conclusion. Stay with me now. About who Jesus really is. Peter was responding to the question that Jesus had asked. You know the portion of Scripture, I'm sure. Jesus looked at his followers and specifically looked at Peter. He said, who do you say I am? And they had been saying, well, the the religious community says you're a prophet and all this guy. He'd asked the question several times. And again, you've you've read this. But they, they were giving different answers. And some say that you're Elijah and one thing or another. So Jesus looks at Peter and he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter's answer was, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus commended that. And he told Peter and his other disciples that flesh and blood hath not revealed it to Peter. But he said, My Father, who art in heaven. So Jesus was thanking and commending Peter that he had received in that moment In his response, he had received a revelation from heaven, from God the Father, about God the Son, Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son. And at that moment, Jesus said, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not 
prevail against it. Jesus was praising Peter for his accurate response while he was introducing his work of building the church on himself, not on Peter. As some would say, I'm sure this church, Xavier, would say that. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, that's verified and it's further affirmed that Jesus was talking about that Peter had recognized that Jesus Christ was the stone that would be rejected, the Son of God, the Messiah, and he was saying that that's who you are. And that was a divine revelation to Peter at that moment, and Jesus recognized that. He commended Peter for saying what he had said because it was truth. And he went on to affirm, Jesus did, that he would build his church upon himself and upon that proclamation that he is indeed the Christ, the Son of the living God, the Messiah. Apart from that truth, when churches get off on these rabbit trails, they labor in vain. That's what's happening. There's an example. I'm just using St. Francis, but there's a Xavier in New York, but there's quite a few of them. I didn't have time to research this, but I can tell you in Seattle and some of the Northwest cities, some of the churches are walking down this same path. They may be using this same pledge. I could guess on some, but I won't because I haven't verified it. But St. Francis Xavier Church says, we have striven to be inclusive and respectful of all people in a conscious and purposeful way, resulting in providing a spiritual home for members of the LGBTQ plus community. I mention that because they make a big deal out of that because it is, not, again, a, a show of righteousness, self-righteousness, but it's a show of righteousness. They have not, the, the revelation of who Jesus is has not occurred to these people because they're closed in their spirit and their mind because the leadership has been misled. Christianity, the main thrust of Christianity is not to be inclusive and respectful it's to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is the power of God, unto salvation. The reason that our world is in the shape that it's in today is because we are not preaching the gospel in effective ways. We are laboring under a lot of delusion. And I know there's pastors and people in churches, well-meaning, who are sitting on pews and they're trying to do their best to get to the bottom of this white privilege that I feel. Why do I have a nice home? And here's this person over here that doesn't have anything. God is a God of, of, of equity and equality. That's why the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It's about Jesus. It's not about what you have and what this other person doesn't have. It's not about that because when that becomes the primary message, it pushes the gospel to the, to the margin. And that's exactly what they've done. And now there's a sense of lostness. But they try. They soldier on because they want to feel righteous. They want to feel self-righteous. They want to feel good about themselves. And honestly, down deep in the heart of every living human being, there is something down in our hearts that desires God, even if we deny him or have never known about him. There's something inside of us that needs God. We want God. We reach out for God. But when we are unwilling to simply come as we are, Say, God, here I am. I need you. We carry on on these little, you know, 
backroom tasks. We work, we work, we work, we burn out, we work so hard. Churches are filled with people today who are stressed because they're working. They're doing all this stuff. They're printing up these these pledges in churches so they can say them every week. And they feel, many of them feel they're doing this for the Lord. And the sad part is they're not. It isn't for the Lord. That isn't the gospel that Jesus once preached from the pulpits of churches around the world. There's no amount of self-introspection or reflection that will produce good moral results. Good results only come through the acceptance and the deliverance and the restoration from sin through Jesus Christ. You want to know how to shut down these riots that are happening in cities across America? And they're not mostly peaceful protests. I I can't tell you how that bugs me. Every time I turn on a news report, a local one, it doesn't matter where it is in the country. The mostly peaceful protests last night, there were a few that, I mean, burned 14 buildings and killed two people. It's pathetic. But anyway, I digress. But there's no affirmation or self-improvement efforts that can change anything. That was recognized in the founding of our country, and it needs to be recognized now. Our founding fathers couldn't agree on what kind of a country they wanted to build. They wanted, they were talking about what kind of a country are we going to hand to the people of America, we the people. They had beaten the British. The Revolutionary War had been won. So they couldn't agree on this, and they were at each other in this meeting room. They were trying to figure out what kind of a constitution. Ben Franklin stood up and he said, only a virtuous people are capable of freedom. The nations become corrupt, vicious. They have no more need of masters. I have lived long, sir, and the longer I live, the more convincing proofs I see of this truth, that God governs in the affairs of men. If a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, it's probable that an empire, it's improbable that an empire can rise without his aid. Benjamin Franklin, the signer of the Constitution Declaration of Independence, he says, we have been assured, sir, in the sacred writings that except the the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. He said, I firmly believe this, and I also believe that without his concurring aid, we shall succeed in this political building no better than the builders of Babel. We shall be divided by our local interests, our projects will be confounded, and we ourselves shall become a reproach and a byword down to future ages. And what is worse, mankind may hereafter from this unfortunate incident despair of establishing governments by human wisdom and leave it to chance and war and conquest. The gates of hell are prevailing against our culture and unfortunately against some churches, but they are not prevailing against the church of Jesus Christ. Regardless of the name, on the church. Those who preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, him crucified and resurrected, that is the work that we need to give ourselves to in these days. And as we contemplate work and celebrate work today, let's remember to do the right kind of work because we do not want to be laboring in vain. And the Lord must be building the house. God is in control. Thank you for your support. We couldn't be here without it. You know that. Our address is Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. Box 399, Bellevue, Washington, 98009. You can contribute online. Go to faithandfreedom.org.
U.S. There's a tab there that says Donate. You can click it. Thanks for being with me today. Have a great day. I'll see you right here tomorrow.